Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's good to be back after a week off and we have a a special guest panelist as uh, Claire Zauke is off this week. We hope she's enjoying her day off, but uh, we're very, very happy to have Joanna Bouch with us. Joanna is our Movement Politics Director here at Citizen Action. Joanna, good to have you. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, folks. Happy to be on the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. It's great to have you back. And uh, we have so much to talk about this week, both at the state and federal level. We're looking forward to jumping into it. But before we do that, Robert Craig, our other full-time panelist, is with us. Robert, how are you doing this morning? I can't complain. And uh, good day, both to our, or good evening to both our uh, digital and radio audiences. So, folks, it's been busy. I was uh, away last week. It's uh, great to be back. Uh, it was a great discussion last week uh, between that Robert and Claire had. Um, so, as we record this morning, our, our first topic is going to be about some news that broke this morning in the Milwaukee Journal, and that is that um, Robin Voss, the great boss Voss of the State Assembly, um, who runs, as we have talked about, with an iron fist, uh, seems to be trying to get out front of his caucus and the public before we've had even any real public hearings. Uh, and he says that they're going to reject accepting the federal money to expand Badger Care. Robert, I'm just going to start with you on this, uh, just because this is something that is, it's just our lead issue. And uh, uh, get your immediate thoughts on it. But obviously, this is just, again, Robin Voss's position. Robert. Well, we have here again a rejection of a huge amount of money, in other words, so we can pay more money to cover fewer people. And just to remind folks, the uh, Rescue Act uh, for COVID-19 sweetened the pot. So this time it's $1.6 billion, according to the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, in this budget. And he says no amount of money would bring him to expand welfare. Now, welfare is coded uh, racism, quite frankly. This is classic dog whistle politics, going back to welfare queens and everything else. And in fact, I think we need more of a strategy to call that out, but it's divide and conquer. This makes uh, a lot of white folks think uh, that that may be influenced by Republicans or vote for them, that this mostly helps black people, when in fact, disproportionately people of color on it, but more white people benefit and people all over the state of Wisconsin love Badger Care. And it's critical in rural areas as well. And so it is stunning. It tells you, and there's increasingly a detachment between the public interest and things people want, because healthcare is the top issue to straight elections, and what Republicans stand for, because they count on being able to win on negative partisanship. That is, their voters hate the other side more, partly because they're lied about, and uh, it's racialized, and therefore they can do whatever they want. By the way, Robin Voss loves welfare. I don't agree with the Democratic messaging, some of it I saw in the paper. The welfare he loves is for Fox Cod for the elite, for the people who want him divide and conquer so they can take all the spoils of our economy. Robert, we'll get to Foxconn later in the show and uh, Voss's uh, favorite form of welfare. But Joanna, uh, first of all, obviously great to have you, but this, is, um, this isn't shocking, 
But I, I want to, you know, first, I want to give all. you an opportunity to get your thoughts on it. But also, you you follow politics. This seems really bad politically, especially in a lot of areas where we know this is popular. And the assembly has a lot of potentially vulnerable folks even before uh, uh, redistricting occurs. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm really wondering how Claire is taking this news, um, wishing she was on with us today. Uh, just to get her immediate reaction. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's it's Voss being Voss, right? Like, I'm honestly not surprised, but it's so extremely disappointing. You know, like Robert said, Voss is interested in, you know, giving out money to wealthy folks, but like for regular Wisconsinites, he's not interested in supporting us. And to leave $1.6 billion on the table, um, that's, should be coming home to all of us here in Wisconsin is just, it's ridiculous. It's laughable. Um, I think sometimes he just likes to, you know, I don't know, is it to get the headlines or what is his deal? Does he wake up every day thinking, what outrageous thing can I say today? What outrageous thing can I do today to, you know, to get the pot stirring? Um, He's absolutely ridiculous. We know this. We've seen this. Um, We'll see what his Republican colleagues decide to say about his statement if they rally behind him because you're right matt a lot of them are going to be vulnerable this 2022 election um we're going to have you know some hopefully new maps that are gonna you know let for open up the open up the races for democrats to jump in and and win some seats over and so we'll see what the rest of the republicans here in wisconsin have to say about that yeah robert robert this yeah robert this is the dynamic right uh your thoughts Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look, Joanne is totally right. Don't give up, folks. He is getting out front predicting this is the way to him to look like the boss. Uh, The Senate Majority Leader LeMayhew hasn't commented. We need to keep pushing and pushing because this is the best chance we're going to have, not only because of the amount of money involved, but because with redistricting, they don't know what districts they'll be in. So they need to be a little bit more worried about taking such an unpopular position. Remember, 78% of the public in polls we've seen supports this, taking the money, Patrick Care expansion. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a, a different dynamic even than it was two years ago. I expect the governor will be a lot stronger on this. And I also expect you're gonna see Democratic legislators and others The pressure is very real. There are, I can think of at least 12 seats where there are uh, Republicans who are going to, this is going to be a very difficult decision for them. Uh, And Robert, you're absolutely right. I think Voss is trying to get out front to sort of control the caucus before uh, what will be an avalanche of public opinion uh, in support of accepting the, the, the expansion of Badger Care. This is an extraordinarily popular position. Hell, it's extremely popular to, to actually go even bigger and expand it as a public option that is almost as is essentially as popular as even accepting the federal money. So Voss is trying to get out front and control sort of the political dynamic that's going on here. I wanted to, while we're on this subject, before we uh, switch later in the show to talking about what's been going on nationally, um, I want to talk a little bit more about some of what Voss has been up to, um, and that is this idea connected to the uh, new Recovery Act that we Wisconsinites might not be able to get their unemployment for the first week. Robert, this is this is more shenanigans from Voss playing to this QAnon base. He thinks people who lost their jobs by no fault of their own. 
that they're on welfare and he's going to make it harder. And you look at the state's unemployment system, if anyone's ever navigated the system, it's sort of like we're going to uh, punish you at every step and put you through the ringer to get not enough money to barely keep house and home together. But you want an economic development grant to create jobs like their privatized jobs agency, uh, WEDEC. Uh, and, oh, you didn't create any jobs? And uh, we didn't monitor you. Oh, we'll change the rules for it. Oh, don't worry. Right. Here's the check. So that's what's going on here. It is blame individuals for systemic problems. And remember, when they talk about things like personal responsibility, they're saying it's your fault. It's your fault in a pandemic that your business isn't open or that it's impacted by the, the entire economic uh, spin out of this disaster. That's what they're telling you, and people need to remember that, but they still think they can gerrymander the legislature and gin up up hatred against the other immigrants, people of color, public employees, uh, that it won't matter that they harm everyone. That is their play, and, their, and that is what's happening with the national Republicans as well. This is the modern Republican Party. Joanne, are you buying this? Do you think, I mean, this bill is extraordinarily popular, the relief bill. There is an immense amount of pain and hurt out in our communities. This seems like a playbook of a, of a different era. Is this really going to fly? This stuff's very popular. There's a lot of pain and hurt out there. It seems like he's playing something out of an old playbook that, you know, other than the, the sort of right-wing base, this doesn't seem like, again, politically, it puts Republicans in really shitty position in a lot of uh, important districts. So your thoughts? Yeah, I think Voss is really um, making his Republican colleagues struggle, you know, like he's putting them in, like you said, in tough positions. Uh, This idea that um, holding out that full week of unemployment aid is going to like make or break people's will to want to get back to work is ridiculous. You know, Wisconsinites want to work. We want to provide for our families. Because we need the support and help from our government, which is what they should be doing, um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what they're there for. They should be supporting us all the time. It's just it's just another one of Voss's ridiculous rants, right? And like I said earlier, does he wake up every day wondering, hmm, what ridiculous thing can I do today? What outrageous, outlandish thing can I say today to hurt regular Wisconsin people? Um, I really think that he is going to hit a wall with his Republican colleagues. I mean, we know in the Senate that they're not always agreeing with Voss, right? LeMahie is not always on the same page as Voss. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think Voss is just out here trying to get some headliners um, because, you know, trying to get ahead of it and just trying to get out here um, to say something so that he can get some quotes. But I really don't think that his Republican colleagues are going to fall in line with him. Well, look, folks, we got to take a break. A big determinant of this is going to be, are we putting pressure on a lot of these state legislators? So please uh, reach out, contact your state reps, let them know. Stand up to boss boss. This is an opportunity we should be accepting this money. With that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are talking about state level stuff we are going to transition to some just huge stuff that's been happening federally um but before we do I, we got to talk about 
the debate that's been going on in the legislature around the the uh, the bill that memorializes Rush Limbaugh, who let's just say it, and, and the, many Democrats articulately got up and spoke. He was a racist amongst many other things, a sexist, a bunch of other things, right? You name it. Uh, and in the contrast to the fact that we've now gone through a couple cycles where they have not even been able to recognize Black History Month or any of the achievements uh, and have politicized this issue. Joanna, this is now the second time that they've headed down this. Again, similar, Robert mentioned how they're using badger care and all these other things for dog whistles. This shit's just right up blunt in your face, um, shows sort of the, what kind of party this Republican Party is, has, has become. Your thoughts on this debate that's been going on in the legislature? Oh, my goodness. I'm so disgusted by this, right? Like this, this guy, this man is, like you said, sexist, um, racist, anti-LGBT, right? He has said the most, the worst things, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking about does Voss wake up every day thinking what wild things can I say today? This guy, oh my goodness. Um, And like, the disrespect that our legislators are putting towards our, you know, Black Wisconsinites, our Black community, our, all of our communities of color, this is just a slap in the face, you know, and I know uh, I, some Republicans are saying, um, you know, don't speak ill of the of the dead and stuff like that. Like, are you kidding me? This guy spoke ill of the living, you know, it's ridiculous. And and so it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, it, it really is, is devastating. It, you know, you, you, we see our, our young people, our youth, young Wisconsinites, and they should know that their, you know, their history, their culture is celebrated here in Wisconsin. And, you know, just to see this, this is just, it's, it's appalling. I'm so disgusted. Um, and, and their arguments, they're just laughable. You know, I, I was reading an article and they put a quote in here from Lush, from Rush Limbaugh from 2013, where he said, if any race of people should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. There's more to that quote, but like, I'm just gonna stop there. Like that's the kind of ridiculous shit this guy was saying. And the fact that they wanna honor him and they can't even um, you know, honor Black History Month, is, it's disgusting. I think folks who know me know I watch or listen the other side because you need to know what they're doing. So I've, I listened to Rush Limbaugh a fair amount over the years. And in addition to what Joanna said about his racism, his sexism, his homophobia, it was every possible divisive tactic and all of the misinformation and lies and all of the revving up hatred of the other, hatred of immigrants, hatred of low-income people, hatred of people of color for political benefit. It was actually made possible him having a monopoly like he did on all these stations by the Telecommunications Reform Act that was put through by Bill Clinton. So let's remember uh, that there was a bipartisan part of actually uh, giving him that platform. But he is in many ways, the reason they want to honor him is because he created them. He is what set up Trump. We had an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, partly because of Rush Limbaugh. So they are, uh, it is, I don't know, if you were in a, an authoritarian country, yeah, they'd be honoring the people who had helped set up their system. So it's understandable, and it just, again, shows this harsh juxtaposition between 
the mere act of showing the respect to honor Black History Month versus having the disrespect to demand an honor of this man, or in Donald Trump's case, to give him the Congressional Medal of Honor, which has sullied that honor. I don't know. Some people may not want that honor in the future because people like Rush Limbaugh has received it. Yeah, I, I, um, I was in high school. I graduated high school when Rush Limbaugh's show really started to take off. And I got a job uh, working for a, a small painting company that did exterior painting. So, um, you know, and had the, you know, had the privilege of going to a lot of different homes and, and shops. And it was amazing how that show took off and got popularity amongst small business owners and a lot of like the paint stores and shops and the guys who drove trucks. And, and that was that audience that they have revved up. And many of them who before weren't necessarily highly political or partisan who now are this revved up base around a lot of what Limbaugh started to lay out that blueprint. Um, And that show uh, is, as Robert said, if you listen to the floor, the Republicans talked about how he was like their hero and inspired them to get into office. It's exactly what Robert said. Um, we're living out. So when we talk about what Voss just did, we're living out really, you know, what, what Limbaugh laid out. So it was in many ways fitting that they honor him, but it just does lay bare as Joanna put out just how awful this is for really for our state that we would get to this point, but that is the politic we're in. And it defines what we're going to continue uh, to talk about. Um, I, 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 we, Robert, you mentioned Foxconn. We have got to, we've just got to talk about this because there was more news this week. Joanna, we have talked about Foxconn forever <laughs> on this show because it is, it's, it's like a metaphor for everything that's wrong with the economic development and the priorities of, of the modern uh, uh, state government. Uh, and it's been some bipartisan in terms of this kind of approach. But this week, uh, Foxconn announced that maybe they might be making an electric car here in Wisconsin. Joanna, are you preparing to put in your orders for the electric car coming out of Foxconn? Absolutely. Of course I am. Oh, man, <laughs> yeah. what a joke, right? Uh, I feel like all of our topics have been pretty comical. Um, the right is just wild. I mean, Foxconn, oh, I mean, we can thank them for the masks, right? The masks yes, that, that is, the GOP didn't don't don't want us to wear. Um, you, yeah, you're jokingly referencing the only thing Foxconn has actually produced from this plant that was supposed to uh, provide us with tens of thousands of jobs. Right, thirteen hundred jobs. Right, that hasn't happened. I mean, thirteen thousand. Thirteen thousand. I'm sorry. Thir- <laughs> you're right. So sorry. Yes, thirteen thousand jobs. Um, what did we give them? Um, $2.85 billion for this? Um, yeah, I don't know. Fortunately, they have not been able to get most of their money because they haven't met their targets, but there was so much money invested in local governments, the infrastructure, the families that lost their homes that were taken away. Yeah, It's just, uh, it is a metaphor for the trash economic policies of the Walker Walker administration. Robert, your thoughts on Foxconn's news this week? Yeah, and I just want to uh, say- I, we- I assume you're going to buy that car, right? It's going to be a high quality car when it comes out. I'm just trying to toy with what it should be called, the fox cart. I don't know. Uh, that's not the, the fox coop. Anyway, uh, I would just say that 
I, as I've said on this uh, Battleground Wisconsin many times, I waited the eight hours to testify after all the business leaders and education leaders of the state were lined up for this on, on very short notice. And uh, I made an Armageddon-like speech about what it would be like, and I, and which went viral, but I was very understating it, as it turns out. Uh, and this stands for something larger. Just so folks know, giving money to big corporations to create jobs and assuming that will lead to prosperity and the common good for everyone is the economic development policy of this country, Republican and Democrat. State and local government spent $80 billion a year, the last number I saw, on these incentives. They don't provide many jobs uh, by, by the best research in terms of the money you put in. In direct investment would put in much more money, like a real Green New Deal, uh, and would create many more jobs, and you could focus it so that they're good jobs, and they're jobs to people who need them most, but everyone. Uh, but this was just bigger and the worst. A Scott, a Scott Walker, Donald Trump deal, and its size, and it was a bad deal by the standards of economic development policy. And it's even worse deal because now that happened, the business leaders of this state, they're behind Robin Voss, folks. It's not Robin Voss. He's, he's just a shill for them. They all lined up and said 30, 40,000 jobs with the spin out, the spin off and silence crickets from them on what's actually happened. So the state won't spend all of its money if we get no jobs because the uh, so, uh, some of the uh, a lot of the, uh, the stuff was connected to the job creation. But this. County of Racine and Mount Pleasant will be bankrupt, and the state spent a ton of infrastructure money to set up for this, and it's, there's an opportunity cost. That was their economic development strategy. Where is the economic development strategy for the state of Wisconsin? And we're not doing horrible things like Foxconn anymore, but you got to ask, honestly, where's the democratic economic development strategy in response uh, in the state? Nationally, there is one coming in the Build Back Better agenda which is going to be a huge fight, but there really isn't in this state anywhere. With that, we're going to have to wrap up this section of the Battleground Wisconsin when we come back. We're going to focus on some big pressing national issues that are happening at the federal level. You're listening to Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're going to focus our attention on some things that have been happening nationally. And before we actually talk about what's been going on at the federal government, I wanted to give both of you an opportunity to just make some comments about um, what happened in Georgia, the mass shootings, um, and what appears could be um, very much a hate crime against the AAPI community uh, here nationally. And that has been happening. Uh, it's been going on around the country um, but uh, just want to give uh, both of you an opportunity before we talk more about this. Uh, Joanna, your thoughts uh, about what's been going on in Georgia. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, we have seen crimes against our Asian communities rise in the last year. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. I, you know, I spoke with a friend yesterday who is, from the Asian community and he couldn't even focus on, you know, what our, our meeting was supposed to be on because his heart was so heavy. And, you know, I, 
I sympathize with him, you know, as, as a Latina woman, you know, we see these attacks on communities of color a lot. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, it's devastating. Uh, even more insult to injury is the way the media is handling this um, and not calling it what it is, which is a hate crime against our Asian American Pacific Islander group. Um, you know, I know we record on Thursday and um, don't, it doesn't, typically released until Friday morning. Um, but today, Thursday, March 18th, there is um, a group of folks gathering just to stand with our Asian American community against um, violence uh, at Milwaukee City Hall this evening, tonight at five o'clock. I'll be going down there just to stand in solidarity with this community as um, they're, hurt. they're very hurt right now. Yeah, I wanna lean a little bit on what Joanna said. This is extremely painful uh, to our AAPI community, Asian American Pacific Islander community, because we have had this upsurge in hate. We don't know all the details of this one, but that six of the eight victims were, were, were Asian women and that uh, businesses were targeted that were understood as Asian in orientation and in title uh, certainly suggests that. There were some very unfortunate remarks from the count, the sheriff up in uh, uh, Cherokee County, which is a very red area, which I guess we shouldn't be surprised about. Uh, but we don't know all the facts about this person, since obviously this is a very sick person. But regardless, even if it turned out that it was not a hate crime, in other words, legitimately, we'd all agree, which is probably unlikely, uh, it has brought attention to what's been going on because of Donald Trump's decision to vilify China and to create a xenophobic hatred in order to deflect attention from his lack of any response to the pandemic, calling it the China virus and worse things than that. And let's be clear, there's a lot of concern in the AAPI community and among progressives about Democrats also wanting to have a big fight with China and have a new Cold War with China, not as crassly as Republicans and Donald Trump, but it all needs to be disengaged. And Joe Biden, to his credit, has spoken out against the uh, hatred and the crimes being committed against Asians and just the abuse. Uh, but if I, if I, it, 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 we need to keep leaning in on that and realize that we're all in this together, that we may be in conflict with some governments of other countries. We are not in conflict with the Chinese people. We have a common interest and we're all workers and we're all trying to create a better world. We're going to need to cooperate uh, in order to, to prevent a climate catastrophe, just for example, and many other ways we need to cooperate. And we're supposed to be an inclusive country, a mosaic. We need to teach that. And the mixed messages, and, uh, uh, if you look at the whole spectrum, have been awful. So we just need to keep AAPI community within our minds. Uh, I was on a call yesterday in a board retreat, a Zoom call uh, with People's Action, our national network, and a leader from San Francisco who's Asian American uh, really got through to all of us about how painful this was to the whole community. So just like Joanna said, um, we need to, that's the main focus, not, and we should focus on that and on the victims and not on this particular mass murderer. Yeah, I just the one thing I want to add is I just uh, this this case just brings up the broader mistrust I think also that you know the Black Lives Matter movement has raised for police and the idea that 
the first thing that would come out publicly from police is this idea that the shooter said it's not about race, right? Like, are you kidding me? What, like, what good detective series ends with the, uh, with the shooter or whatever saying, oh, I didn't do this or whatever. And the cops, oh, okay. And, and that's what they run out with. It's just, it's, it's so awful. So it disrespectful to the, to everyone involved. Uh, um, just, but it, it, it shows again, it's not helping in our broader discussion of trying to help raise confidence or any sort of sense that the police care or even think about this. I, you know what I heard was one of the most appalling things. The city of Indianapolis has zero hate crimes last year. Kidding me? Like it's clearly a department that doesn't even take it seriously. So this connects to all of that, I think. But with that, we're going to move on. We have a lot of other things to talk about. Uh, just, uh, but uh, really appreciate uh, both of your your comments on this. I um, want to talk about what's been going on federally. There's a bunch of things that are moving um, that we've been talking about. But the biggest thing that I want to frame in this discussion <clears throat> is what's been going on with the filibuster. Um, we've had a whole show where we really spent significant time talking about the importance of it and that it's going to be critical if there's going to be any serious Biden agenda. And there was discussion about the idea that that first effort to build support around potentially using the filib or getting rid of the filibuster would be around the critical campaign finance and uh, uh, the HR1 bill that's already passed the House. Well, I want to get your comments this week about the news, two big pieces. One, Joe Biden spoke uh, for the first time very publicly, very strongly uh, for the idea that uh, we may need to look at filibuster reform. And uh, that was big news. The other big piece sort of on the other end is uh, uh, the other big pillar in this uh, is Joe Manchin, who earlier this month had suggested uh, a real opening to potentially looking at uh, revising the filibuster. But uh, Wednesday made comments that seemed to roll back a lot of that, except for maybe the idea of a talking filibuster. Um, Robert, I'm going to kick it to you. And then, Joanna, I want to get your thoughts on the state of play here uh, and where we're looking at. Robert, I mean, you've been pretty optimistic about the notion that we could build support to actually overturn this. You remain uh, similarly optimistic in uh, viewing the situations this week, particularly as it relates to Biden. I'm optimistic, but wary. We're not there yet. It may be a long process. We have not just Joe Manchin. We have about six uh, to seven, even maybe eight moderates that are institutionalists and seem to think that the filibuster create something bipartisan and more minority rights. The filibuster as exists now, it has not been something that has been used this regularly in the past. The structure of the Senate's been changed by the Republicans, where no major legislation can pass in most cases, this is true in the last 10 years, unless it can get through budget reconciliation, which you only use occasionally and has very strict rules. And so in budget reconciliation, it's stacked you can do the Trump tax cuts and give away trillions to business, to corporations, to the wealthiest, but you can't raise the minimum wage, apparently. But in general, what progressives need to happen and want to happen is that these requires major legislation. So you have a government where you can't do major legislation if you do this. It's not workable given the nature of the other side. It just isn't. And the problem is 
Republicans have been more than happy under Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump to remove every other tradition and rule that was in their way. And now they're standing on the tradition of the filibuster, which is not in the Constitution, hasn't been this filibuster for most of its history and was actually rooted in Jim Crow. This is about the South having a veto on slavery and then on anything around civil rights. And so we have an existential situation because on the democracy bills and voting rights bills, if we do not do them, they rig the elections and they take back control in, in the next election of the, of the House, period. That's what happens. And so that is the way to move the other Democrats is that they all understand that, at least they're Democrats. But what may need to happen, from an understanding, is that we may need to actually move these bills and many other bills that are popular and all Democrats support and have them kill them in order to finally convince these remaining six Democrats, the remaining institutionalists in the world, who in many times in their careers have in maybe in their states been able to work with Republicans, and they're sort of people who are who have branded themselves that way. It's just not real. And you will lose control, period, which is a blow against democracy. We already have minority rule. This rigs it further. The Senate's already rigged by its apportionment. You don't need to rig it more with a 60 vote requirement for any major bill. And with that, we're going to, Joanna, we will get your thoughts on the back end of this break. But we got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We appreciate all our listeners out there throughout the state. Again, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Check us out. Follow us all week long. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin we are talking about the filibuster and our ability as progressives to get anything done if uh if it is an alter joanna uh, before the break robert had laid out some of his thoughts uh curious uh your feelings on this right and i guess what do you think i mean this is uh do you think we'll be able to get to a situation where uh, the Democrats could have 50 votes to alter the filibuster to move uh, key parts of Biden's agenda. We obviously need to go in that direction if we want to see anything that Biden has put forward come to, to light, right? Like Biden has a pretty progressive agenda and he knows that with the filibuster as is, none of it's going to pass, right? It's going to die quickly. Um, I think that Democrats are coming from a, a space of fear, right? They've been in the minority for so long. They don't want to see the filibuster go because they see themselves falling back in the minority. Um, and so it, it's obviously not a good spot to govern from. So I think that this could be an opportunity where Democrats just get bold, right? Like we, we know what the people of the United States want, right? We know the type of policies we want presented. Um, and so like, if we can, I just feel like this is an opportunity to get out of this fear and like really, oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I really think that this is an opportunity for Democrats to, you know, get rid of the filibuster and then move on really hardcore progressive uh, agenda items that will not only do us good right now in the session that we're in, 
but also in the future for future elections. It'll inspire other Democrats to run on bold progressive agendas, right? It's it's just removing the filibuster is like one more step to getting out of this like um, position that the Democrats are in that makes them think that they're going to stay in the minority, right? Like this fearful spot that they're in about not wanting to about wanting to think about well what what happens when GOP gets back in the in the uh, majority, right? Yeah. And when you mentioned that, that is specifically I know uh, Diane Feinstein has mentioned this, uh, you know, others about this idea and certainly Manchin that if you know what happens, oh, if we lose the majority again, I, look, I'm sorry, uh, the, the Republicans have demonstrated they're willing to do whatever they need to take power. It's just shows sort of a miss misperception of what the heck's going on here. But um, I wanted to talk about something more. I don't know, a, a different way to look at this. I was thinking about this as I was driving home from Florida, and I want to use maybe a, uh, a motorcycle metaphor here. Um, Brian, our producer, might appreciate this. There's a term called target fixation when you ride a motorcycle, uh, and this fits into what you were talking about, Joanne, about a fear. It happens uh, when you're racing or if you're out on the street and say there's an obstacle or an accident in front of you. What happens with target fixation is you tend to lock in on that problem, that obstacle, and that leads you right into the obstacle, as opposed to instead looking where you want to go. Where is it that you need to get? And if you, if you get your eyes and you get focused on that, you will avoid, naturally, you will turn, the wheel will turn as you focus on where you want to go. And what I think is really useful about this is we got this real big problem where we have this mismatch of what our agenda is that is popular with the public. And I even think Manchin and some of these moderates would like to see a lot of this pass, but they're caught up on target fixation. They're fixated on the filibuster and we're fixated on this thing as opposed to we need to actually have a conversation with each one of them. Where do you want to go, Joe Manchin, Christine Cinema? Where do you want to go with the policy? What, is, what do you want to accomplish? Uh, you're in this hugely powerful position. You, have, you are these senators who are in control. Well, what, what would, where would you like to go? And how are we going to get there and get, get about that process and avoid, in some ways, the filibuster will take care of itself if, and this is where Robert's sort of saying, if they just reject everything and there's just continued showing that they're not actually governing, that it is all about, it remains all about power, that they won't even negotiate. And there's serious discussions going on. I think John Tester's playing in a number of them, a real important role in trying to convene what would be this moderate group. If that stuff fails and, they, and, and those moderate Democrats stay focused on how do we get to these end results on the policies we need and that HR1, we need something very close, if not that whole thing to pass, right? And if they can't get Republicans or anyone in this group of 20 that Tester and company are working with to move, it, and we keep our folks focused on that objective, that we might be able to get them past the filibuster where they actually would be supportive of it because they've seen this path, right? That where they want to go, it's not possible without some alterations. And that's sort of what Robert's essentially talking about. Let them, you know, let them vote it down. 
but it's it's actually really important, I think, for us to be thinking about how we interact with them. It's similar language like I was thinking about as a union organizer. You don't go in and talk to somebody who's struggling with something about a strike. That scares them. It puts them in a, as Joanna said, a place of fear. You talk about what they want. What are their aspirations? Where do they want to go? And that gets them focused on the right objectives. And it gets them in a place where maybe they might entertain the idea of going out on a strike because they have figured out it is the only path for where they want to go. And I think we need to have a real laser-like focus on that with these folks. Uh, where do they want to go? Otherwise, uh, Robert's agenda is right. We will lose. We will not accomplish anything. There will be another election and most likely we'll be thrown out because they didn't accomplish big things and or we've also had the rollback of uh, the election rights in the states. Sorry, that was long, but I'd been thinking about that on my week off. Robert. I'll just add that was all very good, both of you. In addition, we won't do anything on the ticking time bomb of climate. We won't do anything on economic equality, racial justice, the reckoning we're facing, a minimum $15 minimum wage or anything, and they will rig the elections in the states with over 350 voter suppression laws and gerrymandering, and they will take control. Now, the one thing about fear, Joanna mentioned the fear. So Mitch McConnell has leaned in on the fear. He is now saying he gave a speech and he's done an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, of course, that says, you have no idea what a scorched earth Senate will look like and what we will do to you. And so trying to terrify them. Let me be very clear. Mitch McConnell has removed every possible norm whenever he wanted to. Look at the Supreme Court situation. Look at Merrick Garland. Look at ramming through the uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Okay. Uh, in addition, all the things he says he'll do, he says he'll do their whole agenda when he gets control. You know what? Uh, if he wants to do it, he'll do it anyway. Dirty secret is, they have a problem. They have a whole social agenda that revs up their people that they don't actually want to do. They just want to give the money to the 0.1%. They don't actually want to do this stuff, and they'd be forced to. And you know what? If they do win power, they should go past their agenda because that's democracy, and then there's an opportunity to vote them out for it. Instead, they have it both ways. They're for this agenda, but then they don't do this agenda. And that'll be the same way with Democrats. We're for doing something on climate or racial justice or economic equality for working people and wages and uh, build, rebuilding the country's infrastructure, but we're not doing it. Why would people even care about having democracy in this condition? It's not a functioning democracy with this kind of Senate. And the filibuster probably didn't play much of an important role ever, but right now, it's an authoritarian instrument. I'm sorry. It's anti-democratic, and there is nothing about it that, it, that, that, that advances bipartisanship. It's a joke. So, Joanna, any final thoughts uh, before we start to wrap this show up on this great topic? Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, Mitch McConnell, with his threats, you know, a, a scorched earth. And um, saying things like when, when the Republicans, he said something like when the Republicans were in the majority, like he allowed for the filibuster to stay, like to help Democrats, you know, like he, as if he was doing us some sort of favor. Uh, I, I just think it's a joke. Uh, again, I feel like I've been saying that all throughout the entire show. It's just the GOP are such uh, an entertaining um, production. And so I think that, you know, the filibuster just, 
further confuses politics, you know, for regular folks to understand. Um, I, I just really think that it's, it's not a good tool um, to, like Robert was saying, to, so, to support democracy. I think that in order to get, you know, more people involved in the process and the electoral process, which is our ultimate goal always, right, to increase voter engagement, to increase um, voter education, it's something that needs to go. It's an old, it's an old tool that's been abused and it needs to get out of the way so that we can move forward in a more democratic, uh, democratic way. Well, with that, we have got to wrap this Battleground Wisconsin up. It was a fantastic discussion. Appreciate both of your thoughts on this. Hey, folks, we're getting close to April 6th, Election Day. I want to remind you, Citizen Action has endorsed Jill Underlee for Department of Public Instruction. Get out and volunteer with our endorsed candidates. They all have phone banks. They got ways. If you want to go to doors, some of them are doing doors safely. Folks, get out, help our candidates, get involved. And uh, if you need to, get your absentee ballots uh, uh, ordered or back. Don't forget, April 6th, Tuesday, April 6th. With that, we'll wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every week. We'll see you next week.